welcome to another episode of the Tribe of Helpers podcast. I am your host, Siobhan Jones, founder of the Mental Wellness Collective. This podcast is designed to bring you a collective of helpers to help guide you on your healing journey, discussing topics that impact our mental health and hinder our growth. We have another amazing guest on this week. Take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Tribe of Helpers podcast. I am joined today by Toya Carter. So happy to have you join me, Toya. How are you? Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing amazing. I am doing amazing. I'm so excited um, to be launching this podcast, to have episodes for people to really just come and talk to people who are professionals in this field about different areas of mental health, because for so long and still we're working towards it, people don't talk about their mental health. And I want this podcast to be that for people to have a collective of helpers to help them through different, um, different topics. Um, So like I said, I have Toya Carter. She is a licensed professional counselor. She is an author. um, And I really just want to dive in. So Toya, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, Let's see. Professionally, like you said, I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm I'm very, very excited about that. It it took so long to get those credentials. So I can never say that enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I currently work in private practice, which is a nice change of pace. I've come from a background in community mental health. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anybody knows anything about that, but it's kind of like a factory, I would say. It's not really therapeutic at all. It's more like see whoever comes in the door, get them in, get them out. Um, So to be able to be in private practice and really, you know, do deep dives with people and give them homework and they do the homework, it's it's a great change of pace. Um, Also, I'm an author. I wrote a book. It's called The Wife's Guide to Beating the Side Chick. It's all about. (laughs) I know. Right. Everybody has that same reaction. Right. (laughs) It's um, it's basically like a it's from a woman to a woman, kind of like. You might have done premarital counseling, but this is the part that they didn't tell you. So let me keep it real with you. That's basically what the book's about. I talk a lot about communication, self-care, sex. So it's a good book. And then personally, I have three kids and I'm a wife. So that's me. So much, so much. How did you tap into the, you know, the right area and what is your area of specialty? So I tend to work best with people who are either depressed or people who are coming to me with some type of couples issue. I hate to say marriage counseling because I see a lot of clients who are just in a couple. Mm -hmm. So I say couples, couples issues. And how that happened for me was, again, I had no idea. People were like, oh, who do you see? And I'm like, oh, anybody. I take this insurance. Do you have it? This is my cash rate. Can you pay it? Like, so I was just kind of, I was just kind of seeing anybody. And then I finally did a um, Psychology Today page, and I was super, super Toya. Like, I did not try to use clinical terms. I didn't try to sound like someone else. I was just really, really me in writing my profile because I wanted people to know, like, this is what you read about me online. This is what you're going to get when you come in this session, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of helped narrow people out. And then I started asking myself, like, who do I get excited to see? Who do I really want to help? And that for me is how I got to depression and couples. 
Well, I... I'm so happy you touched on depression because it seems like, you know, when you're scrolling on Instagram, um, one, people have become more self-aware. And so mental health is, I hate to say, but it's kind of trendy right now. It is. It makes me so mad. It's like, it's one of those double-edged swords. It's so trendy. And it's, it's great because, you know, the stigmas are slowly starting to, you know, disappear. But at the same time, you know, it's kind of like touch and go because not all the information is accurate information. I know. And people think, oh, I'm sad. I have depression. Right. Stop. Like, stop doing that. Like, did you Google it? Did you read the DSM? Like anything. You just had a bad moment. You didn't even have a bad day. You don't have depression. So I get the double edged sword thing. So can you tell us, you know, what is the difference between someone who is, you know, diagnosed with like clinical depression Versus someone who it may be like situational depression. They may be having a bad day or something happened and, you know, they're depressed in that moment or even for, you know, a day or two. What are the indicators that makes it significantly different? So the thing is, and I'll try to like, you know, be as brief and succinct as possible, but I really get going when we start talking about (laughs) depression. I just really get involved. Okay, let me, let me try to be succinct here. You got it, girl. Go ahead. (laughs) But the thing is, is number one, like, is it is it interfering with your daily life activities? Like, are you able to still adult? Are you getting out of the bed? Are you able to get to work? Like, is this depression? Is this feeling of heaviness, this sadness? Is it causing problems in how you move in life? Mm-hmm. So if you're a student and you keep sleeping and not going to class, I would say that that's a problem. Right. If you're a parent and you don't wake up and feed your children, I would say that that's a problem. So that's what I mean by is it causing a problem in your life? That's one major thing to think about. And then number two is <clears throat> the time frame. Did you have a bad day or has this been lingering for like, I think it's two weeks now with the new DSM. I, I believe it's two, two weeks mm-hmm. consistently. Not I was had a bad day Monday, then I went out and partied on Tuesday and I felt fine. And then Wednesday I had a little bit of a hangover, so I felt like I was sad again. That's not what I mean. I mean like consistently. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, like is it consistently causing a problem? So those are two things that I would definitely be on the lookout for. Is it interfering with my daily life and how long has this been happening? So when you have, um, what do you see more of now? Do you see more people who are, um, you know, diagnosably depressed, or are there more people who are just having bad moments and they lack, um, you know, coping skills and they need better coping skills to deal with, you know, everyday trials and tribulations? I think it's 50 50 okay. in my practice. And keep in mind, I am in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So, and I know that things can kind of change based on location. But for my practice, the people that I see, I would say it's 50 50. Some people are just literally having like what we call an adjustment disorder with depressed mood, meaning something happened, they couldn't shake it. Now they're, have, they're meeting the criteria for depression, but it's all stemming back from this one thing. They're having difficulty adjusting to this one thing. So, that would be what you're talking about. They had a bad moment. They don't have coping skills and they need to move forward. So I see like 50% of them, but then there are other people who are like, I can't get out of the bed. I'm not taking a shower. I've lost my job. And the thing about depression is, and this is what I tell my clients, depression is like your favorite blanket. Mm -hmm. It makes you want to lay down and wrap up. But because you're laying down and wrapping up, it makes the depression worse because then you feel bad about all the things that you didn't do. 
Right, right. And so now you're just on this hamster wheel of things because you laid in bed, so you lost your job. So now you're sad because you lost your job. Well, now you can't pay your bills, so now you have financial strength. You know what I mean? Like, it just, depression can kind of compound on itself. It's like a snowball effect. Exactly. It's just just ongoing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what are some of the things that people can do to cope? Um, You know, I know there's a difference between those who um, are, you know, diagnosed with depression. And I'll get to that in a moment. But those who are dealing, just having, like, adjustment um, issues, who are dealing with the situation, what are some coping skills they can use to kind of help to pull themselves out, um, you know, of that bad place in that moment? So first, if it's just a situation and we're having an adjustment disorder, we want to resolve the situation, right? So if it's, um, let's see, what do people be sure? Let's see. So if it's something like, okay, I lost my job. Right. So then we need to start applying for new jobs. We need to develop some type of income source because usually that's the financial piece, right? Like it's not clinical depression. It's just, I'm upset because I don't have money. So you solve the problem. You, you start to get money you right and so then different coping skills is um my favorite one and this is for adjustment disorder and this is even for clinical depression movement we have to start moving because that movement creates momentum creates better mood so and I'm not saying like you've been in the bed for 10 days and now I want you to wake up and go to CrossFit that's not what I'm saying I'm saying you've been in the bed for 10 days I want you to wake up and go sit on the couch yeah, people don't understand that even slow progress is still progress. And Baby steps are still steps. Oh my gosh, it's so important because mm-hmm. I think that you know, again, going back to Instagram because it's so you know it's what we we're, we're connected to. Mm-hmm. You see so much progress all the time, and mm-hmm. when you're making small steps and small progress, it can really feed into that you know, lack of self-worth, you know, no matter what I do is, you know, it's not good enough. It really can beat you down. And I love that you said, you know, baby steps for going from the bed to the couch, like making those steps are so important. I think that's Mm -hmm. so significant. Um, Even going into this new year, you know, we, Mm -hmm. we definitely, we make this list of, you know, all these, these resolutions, um, of what we want to do. And there are these grand, things that we want to do in 12 months but nobody just says what is something that I want to accomplish in January right what, what do I want break to break it down January? absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely so for those who I'm sorry go ahead you're gonna say something oh no, no no go ahead go ahead I was gonna say those who are struggling with clinical depression um because I know a lot of therapists some are on the fence about you know medication and I hear a lot of and a lot of people are on the fence about medication for a lot of different reasons um I, you know, for me, I'm an advocate for people to do therapy in combination with medication, if you need. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And so that's what I was going to ask you, your thoughts on that. But I see you agree as well. (laughs) I do. Because here's the thing, like, if you have true clinical depression, anxiety, PTSD, whatever, whatever, but like true, like not situational, not this, oh, I feel sad today, but like for real clinical depression and you need to take something so that you don't end up taking your own life. I'm right. I'm a thousand percent for that. But I think the problem is people get, they get the happy pill as some people, as my clients call it, that's what they all say. I just need my happy pill. Well, you get the happy pill, but then it levels out and you haven't right. learned any coping skills to go with that. 
So I definitely think in combination, that's the best for some people. Some people strictly need therapy. They just need to talk it out, work it out, get their coping skills, you know, reframe their thoughts, get, you know, get educated on what's going on with them, gain some insight, and then they're fine. But if that's not your situation, like, and you need medicine and it is, it is clinically and medically appropriate, get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that we have to, you know, stop this, this stigma of, and, and, and throwing our opinions on other people. Right. Um, you know, medication may not be best. It may not work for you. However, it may work for someone else. Right. It may be, you know, that, that switch that they need to really take them from one level to the next. Mm-hmm. And I know that when I used to work in a hospital, we would do group therapy and some, everyone had an opinion. The medication mm-hmm. doesn't work. Um, you know, I tried this and this didn't work. And I always tell, you know, clients or patients, whatever setting you're in, um, talk to, talk to your therapist, talk to your doctor. You know, mm-hmm. if you, if you're the expert in your, your overall health. And so if something isn't working, tell somebody so they can make right. adjustments. Right. <laughs> And then what people also don't know is doctors, if you've never taken medication before, a lot of times in my experience, what I've seen just, you know, professionally working in different settings, they start you off at like the baby dose because they don't know what it's going to do to your body. So you've taken this baby dose for two weeks and you don't feel a difference, but you don't say anything. You need to say something so that they can increase it. They can change it. Like doctors have a little bit of, well, not a little bit. They have leeway. Like they can change change your dose or whatever but if you've never taken it and they give you that baby dose and you're looking for for some giant change you're not gonna get it absolutely absolutely and so and I also think oh I'm sorry no no go ahead I also think people should be realistic about medication. Like it's not take a pill and then everything goes away. Because as I said before, depression tends to affect everything. If you can't get out of the bed, you can't do anything. So now you take your pill and you're feeling a little bit better, but you have to face what it is you let go by the wayside. So that pill doesn't fix everything. People have to be a little bit more realistic about their expectations. That is such a good point. You have to do the work. Medication mm-hmm. doesn't replace the work that you have to do. Right. And I think a lot of times it's scary. You know, when you're in a dark place and you take a pill, so to speak, that, you know, that brightens your mood, that takes you, you know, from this dark place to now you're able to function better. Mm-hmm. You immediately feel as if, you know what, that was the magic answer. That mm-hmm. changed it for me. But say you run out of medication or... Mm-hmm. Whatever, you know, whatever the case may be and the medication isn't there, you have to do the work because yeah. it, you know, those coping skills really come when you're in that dark place. Those coping skills are like your go to you mm-hmm. know, being able to think of. I always tell people pick at least one or two coping skills, whether it's, you know, your go to is going for a walk or writing in your journal. You know, I, tell, I make my clients pick five. Oh, see, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we got to go for it because here's the thing. If you say go for a walk and it's a blizzard outside, we can't that's go for true. a walk. That's true. If you say call a friend, but you haven't been. So that's one. If you say call a friend, but you haven't been to work in six months and your cell phone is off. OK, now now what? Right. The right. third one, if you say, well, I like ice cream, but if you haven't been to work and you can't buy ice cream now, we, we we're three down. 
So I, I tell my clients choose five because you just never know what the situation may be. Do you have access to it? And I always tell them, make sure you're picking something that you have access to, because if Disney World is your coping skill, how how realistic is that? Like, can you just jump up and go to Disney World? Like pick something that you have access to. So, yeah, I always tell my clients pick five because you just never know. What they're going to choose and what the situation presents to them if they're going to have if they're going to be able to use that skill. That's true. I think so. Maybe I I will up it and say five. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and they get mad and they're like, um, well, Miss Toya, that's a lot. I know it's a lot. We're going to keep trying. You don't have to pick out five today, but five is the goal. Right. Right. And along with coping skills. Um, to, I think to help to manage your anxiety, depression, you have to know what triggers you. Mm-hmm. You have to know what triggers you and how to plan around it. And right. so I used to always tell my clients for every trigger, there needs to be a coping skill. Yep. There needs to be whatever you, whatever is triggering you to put you in this bad place. You have to have something else equally to pull you out of it. Um, mm-hmm. I think we miss that part of it a lot of times when we're having, um, you know, these conversations and people are talking on Instagram and we're giving people all these, you know, great quotes and motivational advice. And, you know, those things are great. But if we don't identify what triggers us, mm-hmm. it's going to continuously trigger us and put us mm-hmm. in those bad places. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and that's where like so at the beginning you you know when clients come in they people typically come to you and they are at their worst right they have because they they're like okay I've tried everything else I have to do this and so a lot of the times the way my sessions are structured we do a lot of our work on the front end and so I give out thought logs and when you feel triggered, we finna, we're, we're going to dissect this. I want to know what time it was. I want to know where you were, what you were doing, what happened. Because a lot of times my clients, they don't know what triggered them until they bring me that thought log back and we can talk about it. Right. That's good. So a lot of times I'm like, this is what we're going to do because you have no, you just mad. No, you're mad for a reason. Well, I don't know why I'm mad. I don't either because I just met you, but we're going to figure it out. Here's the thought log. <laughs> Let's work it out. <laughs> it's important. It's important. Yeah, and so the and so for me, I t- I tell my clients too for every trigger you need a coping skill and avoidance isn't one because you can't avoid everything forever. You know how some people are like, well, I just won't go over so and so house or I just won't eat this food right. or I just won't watch this movie. Like that doesn't work forever. No, no. So avoidance it out, is not one. Mm-hmm. When it runs out, it's it's right. You right back at square one. Mm-hmm. You're right back at square one. So I want to also talk about because um, I know that you work with teenagers as well, and um, a lot of the work that I do as well is with youth. And so I wanted to talk about depression and teens um, because you know, for a lot of the work that I do is in suicide prevention, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is with um, African American youth, and the the rates of um, suicide have increased for teens, well, not even just teens, children between the ages of five and 11 um, for African-American youth. Mm-hmm. And so, and one of the, one of the common, um, you know, identifiers um, outside of depression is anxiety. Mm-hmm. And a lot of African-Americans deal with anxiety, depression, but it's often um, underdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. Or misdiagnosed. Or misdiagnosed. And mm-hmm. um, I read, I was reading, doing some research and saw that a lot of African-American boys are overdiagnosed with conduct disorder, mm-hmm. oppositional defiance disorder, 
um, when it actually is depression. Right. And so I wanted to talk about, you know, how do you identify and intervene with your team who may be dealing with depression? So, you know, I didn't start working with teens until like recently. Mm-hmm. I have always shied away from other people's children. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the very best things that a teen told me, and it just kind of opened my eyes and was so beneficial, was she said, I want adults to stop telling me that it will get better because I'm 16. And in my 16 years, this insert event is the absolute worst thing that has ever happened to me. And I know that that sounds so simple, but because I had never really worked with children before, I was like, oh, okay, let me keep, let me first take into consideration their development, right? Right. They're not going to handle a situation like me because I'm older. I've been through things that they haven't been through. So they're not going to view a situation or handle a situation the way I would. So the first thing that I had to do was remember that I'm dealing with a child. I'm not dealing with a small adult. I'm dealing with a child. So that was helpful. And then how do I intervene? I listen. A lot of times these children do not feel heard. They can't tell their mama because their mama working three jobs, the daddy out of town. Who listens to them? So the number one thing that I did was listen. And then I work a lot with my teens with like showing them that your current situation is not the final destination. Right. Like, I know that you don't even think that you can be anything because nobody in your family has done that. Well, let's go online and look at for people who look like you that do the things that if, if anything was possible, that's that miracle question that I love. If anything is possible, what would your future look like? And let's go find somebody who who is doing that so that you can see that it's possible. Because I, I just believe if you can't see it, you can't be it. Absolutely. I think so, so that that has I, been helpful for me. I think that's so that that right there, <laughs> those two things. And the number one thing is listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as adults, we get so wrapped up in, you know, it's going to be fine. You're just a kid. It's, you're, you'll get over it. You know, this can't be that bad. But like the young lady told you, th- for me, this is bad. This is it. Yeah. This is, this is bad. And I think that that's so important. You know, I talk to people always are asking, you know, asking me and telling like, oh, you know, my teen is depressed. What can I do? And the main thing is listen. Mm-hmm. Listen to what they're going listen. through. Figure out what's going on. And then, and so for me with teens, first I'm listening to figure out like what's happening and then super, super solution focused. Gotcha. Because a lot of times the teens that I have seen, it's, it's a, it's a problem that I can pinpoint. I know that's not always the situation. And I know that sometimes it's not one thing. It's a combination of things. It's the family system. It's the housing environment. It's, it's, it's everything. But for the teens that I've been able to work with, I have noticed that if I'm solution focused and focus on like what they think the main issue is, I can help them long term because I know you're trying to figure out how to get over your breakup. But I'm going to teach you these coping skills that you can use the next time, the time after that, the time that you feel sad, like these coping skills don't only work for breakups. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of teens that that's honestly a lot of it, they they lack coping skills and they mm-hmm. like being able to problem solve. Mm-hmm. And so being able to help them resolve their conflicts 
um, and helping them to cope with whatever the life stressor is, you know, is so important. My daughter, she's 12. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, coming into these teenage years sometimes is a lot. It yeah. is a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> I want to tell you it gets better, but my daughter's 15 and I don't know that it gets better. Don't, don't say know. that. Don't say that. <laughs> but what, I, what I've learned and what I've been, because she just started middle school this year. And I, I, I know, right? And so I've told myself, I have to give myself, give her and myself grace mm-hmm. because I've been 12 before she had mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because she hasn't been 12 before, all of this is new to her. Mm-hmm. Even though it's, even though to me, I'm like, I did that. Girl, it's going to be fine. You'll get over mm-hmm. it. It's going to be mm-hmm. this. She hasn't dealt with that. Everything is brand new. She's experiencing mm-hmm. everything for the first time. And I have to give her grace to be able to kind of deal with those things and figure those things out along the way and guide her. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel that teens learn better when they feel like you're not telling them what to do, but you're mm-hmm. guiding them into <laughs> what direction yeah. to go. Yeah, I, I'm definitely, I definitely agree with that. But I also want to say, like, what I've found is I have to give my daughter grace, but I got to give me grace because yep. I've never been a mom to a teenage girl before. Yep. yep. So this is your first time experiencing this, and this is my first time being responsible for somebody experiencing this. Absolutely. So grace goes both ways. Amen. Both ways. And I think it's so it's it's funny because even as a therapist, <laughs> I'm <laughs> telling my therapist because mm-hmm. there's a therapist. Because every good therapist has a therapist. Okay. Right. I was telling my therapist, I said, you know, it's so funny because I felt like I was ready. I was like, you know what? I know what you know what middle school is gonna be like. I know what she's gonna encounter, I know it's gonna be rough, but I found myself more unprepared than she was. And that's what I mean is I wasn't ready for the um, to dealing with the emotions that mm-hmm. come with raising a teenager mm-hmm. um, and being able to pinpoint, you know, when things are just falling apart, it's easier to pinpoint depression in other people, but it's harder to, to pinpoint it, you know, with your own, with your own child. Mm-hmm. And so if you were talking to a parent who had a teen that was dealing with depression outside of just listening and you know being there for them what are some things that they can do to really kind of help and intervene in that situation so I think that oh that's a tricky question because I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm just kind of wading through that right now but (laughs) um, I think that what I have found to be helpful with the teens that I work with is for the parent to insert fun or insert happy activity right so so what what is your child into? What does your child enjoy without pressure? Right. Because, at, at, so like at my house, grades come with pressure. Like you right. have to make straight A's. Like that's just what we do at my house. So that has pressure tied to it, right? So what can we do that's fun that doesn't have pressure? And I know like, so your baby used to do gymnastics, right? So gymnastics probably came with some pressure. So that wouldn't be the go-to activity. But if we, I don't know if we like to go to the park, the park is no pressure. There's nothing tied to the park. So let's go do that. Like they have to create more um, chances for their team to have fun, more chances for their team to be affirmed in whatever way. And it's hard to be specific because each child is so different. And each child has so many different needs, right? 
So I would just say create an opportunity for your child to have fun and be affirmed with no pressure. Absolutely. And I think it's just important for for parents to know that just like we deal with situations, they are too. Mm -hmm. And they're people and they're dealing with, you know, whatever level of stress, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that they're dealing with. And so just like we have bad days and we get down, so do they. And teaching your teaching your child how to problem solve is invaluable. I can't say how many how many teens I've seen. And I'm like, what's happening at your home? Why don't we know how to do this? So teaching them a structure to problem solving, like something that they can say, okay, one, two, three. So like identify the problem, list out the possible solutions, look at the pros and cons of each solution, make the best choice with the information that you have, you know, teach your children how to problem solve. Cause a lot of them, they, they lack that skill. And those are what you just said are great skills, even for adults, mm-hmm. um, because, <laughs> you know, if you can't teach your child something you don't know. Right. And so, you know, I, a lot of times people are like, well, you know, my child is de- depressed or they're not talking to me and they're not. If I don't know how to effectively express my emotions, how can I teach my child how to do that as well? And so I think as adults in society, we have to learn, one, how to deal with our own emotions, how to identify when something is wrong with us, how to get help showing them this. We have Mm -hmm. to model this behavior. So Mm -hmm. when it does come down to, you know, them and their mental health, they will know what to do because, oh, I know that this is what, you know, my mom, when she was upset, she expressed it this way. Right. Um, And so I tell my, like the teens that I work with, I tell their parents, you need three of your own therapy sessions because little Tommy, little Ashley, little whomever is getting this behavior from somewhere. And even if they're not getting the behavior from you, they're learning how to deal from you. So little Tommy is biting his nails, but you don't have no nails either. And you wondering why he's biting his nails. So I like for my parents to have three sessions on their own, just so we can help, just so I can help them identify what they they may be exhibiting give them some some skills real quick so that they're better equipped to help their child absolutely that's oof, that's so important and it's not always easy it's it's not always easy because nobody wants to hear because there's that stigma again nobody wants to hear they're the reason their child is in therapy or they need therapy themselves they're like oh I just came here for my child so just depending on how they respond to me is how I would how I frame it because sometimes I just say, listen, I'm noticing some anxiety with you. How about you come on in? Other times I'm more like, well, just come see me without him because I want to kind of process this with you and it's going to help you better parent your child. You know what I mean? So yeah. sometimes you have to, you got to pay attention to the parent so that you can frame it right for them. But I, I just think they should. I think if your child is in therapy, then something's probably happening. And even if you just need therapy to deal with the fact that your baby is in therapy, Get that help too. Yeah. So and nothing wrong with it. You don't have to. There doesn't and there doesn't have to be a crisis for you. Right. That's what therapy. I tell people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not the emergency room. No. Like, no. Therapy is so preventative. It's one of those when used where, correctly. Yes, it is. Yes. Like we don't. We. I think as a society, our go-to is something is wrong. You're in therapy because something is wrong. And sometimes, like you go to therapy so something won't be wrong right (laughs) right (laughs) I think we just have to acknowledge that um but as we kind of are wrapping up um I just wanted to if you can give us any last 
words of wisdom, any encouragement for anyone who may be feeling depressed, who um, who's dealing with depression for themselves or their child or anything like that? Okay, so for the people who are dealing with depression themselves, I want to encourage you to A, seek help, and then B, get moving. And again, you don't have to go be a gladiator, but just start moving. Like, walk to the refrigerator, walk to the mailbox, sit on the couch, and don't lay in the bed all day. Some type of baby steps is going to get you feeling better quicker than doing nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the people who, you know, your friend or your spouse or your child is dealing with depression, don't tell them to get over it. Don't okay. tell them, oh, clean up, buttercup. Like, don't <laughs> don't say that. That's awful. And stop asking them why, because depression doesn't always have a why. Simply be a supportive, be a support for them. Like, listen to them. Go get ice cream with them. Just be supportive and not questioning. Absolutely. And where can our audience find you? How can they connect with you um, if they're seeking services um, or they just want to follow and um, you know be connected? So you can find me on all things social at Mrs. Toya Carter, M-R-S, Toya Carter. I'm everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Fa- Instagram is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my website is Mrs. Toya Carter dot com. Feel free to connect. I respond to everybody. I, I check my own email. So if, if you message me, I will message you back personally. Um, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Tribe of Helpers. We are Thank so you so much for having, having me. You are more than welcome. I have enjoyed this conversation so, so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tribe of Helpers podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check us out at www.thementalwellnesscollective.com. Until next time, be well.